everyone, and thank you so much for listening in. I am Roberta, the illustrator behind Happy Impulse, and this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society, and I create art about it. Because the more we talk about this shit, these issues, the more we can change and better the world around us. So, welcome to Happy Impulse Unfiltered, and as always, thank you for giving a fuck. Before we dive in, I just want to give a little trigger warning, because if you don't have the emotional availability to listen to this episode, then don't, and that's okay. This episode contains explicit content including, but not limited to, sexual assault, rape, abuse, self-harm, suicidal tendencies, mental illness, and discussions against white supremacy. So I am super stoked and I want to welcome Tatiana Bishak to the podcast. Yay! Thank you for having me. She's an independent illustrator, graphic designer, and color palette master. Plus a huge supporter of the creative community. She's such a strong advocate to young designers, and I'm so honored for her to be here today. So, Tatiana, hello, and thanks for being here. Hey, how are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I, I love what you're doing. I love your work, and um, I'm, I'm excited to be part of this. So before we dive deeper, can you briefly tell the listeners about you? I, uh, my name is Tatiana uh, Marie Bishak. I am currently 29 years old. Um, I am a Virgo and I'm six foot tall. I love I, uh, this so much. <laughs> I feel like I'm writing a dating bio. It is a dating bio, I, isn't it? Just like a little bit. I have a very small feet and I fall over easily because of it, because I'm too tall for my tiny feet. So people, which you're not going to get questions about foot photography. Is that that what you're telling me? I think it would be a fetish thing because it's so, they're so ungodly small for my frame that people are like, wow, that's a, that's a flaw of nature. She shouldn't be able to walk. And I do somehow. And that I feel like that's really an analogy for me as a person. My feet aren't big enough to support me, but somehow I manage and I can't wear heels. But I love that analogy. I love that, that you're like, the world doesn't think I can survive this way, but you know what? Fuck you. I survive anyway. I kind of like that. Yeah. It's like the bumblebee is too fat for its wings to support it. I'm a bad bumblebee. Are you a bumblebee, Tatiana? Yeah, it's just my little feces. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, I'm I'm a self-taught illustrator and graphic designer in uh, northern Michigan. I'm engaged to a, a man in Ireland, and I have been for, I've been with him for about, oh my God, it'll be, um, I've known him for 11 years this month. And um, I will be Tatiana O'Toole then, so wait for the rebrand. It's going to be fun. Um, but uh yeah, I, I am a very strong advocate for community because I was isolated for so long and I uh, stagnated my growth and it hurt me very badly to be alone. And that's the last thing I want to see people go through. So I, I go out of my way to reach out to people who I think are alone or um, and I try to see how they're doing the best I can or just the, just saying hi sometimes. I've worked with some pretty cool clients. Um, my first really big client was Dr. Pepper and I don't think I've really topped them since then. And I don't know how that's happened, but here we are. 
that's that's pretty much me. I'm a Dharma Creative on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Dribble and Ello and Behance. <laughs> If you're looking for me. I do like your overview, but I think you've kind of shorted yourself a little bit on that. Because I love that you reach out to the community. I love your art. It's so, so gorgeous. But you also put like your heart out there so much to the community. You're kind of glossing over that a little bit in the intro, it seems. Uh, um, I, I, I'm, that goes down to my life philosophy because... <clears throat> It's exhausting. Uh, it's, uh, I don't believe in wasting energy, she said as she left the light on in the kitchen in the bathroom. And uh, but anyway, I don't like wasted energy in a system, and lies are wasted energy. Upholding a facade is wasted energy, and it and it doesn't. It also hurts the environment because it sets false pretenses for other people. I, I get exhausted extra easy being something I'm not. So I try to be more honest with people. And I, for a long time, it was exhausting to be fake, but exhausting to be honest because I was so terrified that of who I was as an individual because I didn't think it would be accepted by people because my, most of my life I was isolated. But it got to a point where being more honest with myself made me love myself more because I, I couldn't, it wasn't sugarcoated, it's just me it becomes a lot easier to interact with people when you're being really honest. It's not pretty. You stick your foot in your mouth. You, you really reveal some shit that most people are like, you did not have to say that. But I want people, other people to feel like they can say anything too. And, and we can talk about it. And I think that we align very closely there in our philosophies. Oh, definitely. I think, I think it's exhausting just being who I am in general. <laughs> yeah. Enough. I mean, like, why put it extra? Like, what? You got to have shaved legs all the time? Ha! No, shave a checkerboard into them. It's great. <laughs> You'll walk around the house super snazzy. It's actually gets like really hard to shave a checkerboard in there because they're like it's on a curved surface. Have you attempted this? Like, has yes. Okay, tell me you've not sat in the shower, so you're like sitting in the shower. The hot water is pouring over you. You're looking at your hairy legs, and you're just like, I cannot bring myself to shave again. And you see the razor, but like. I and you're like, I would like to feel a small surface of smooth skin. So you take the razor and you shave a little square and you're like, yes, smooth skin again. And then you're like, oh, that's a square. I bet I could do a checkerboard. And then it just naturally progresses from there. Congratulations, you've shaved a checkerboard into your I leg. I only got to the square. I, I hate to shave it. I was too lazy to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you might. One day. Just like, be like, and it's kind of funny. I was at a bar with a friend who didn't believe me and I pulled up my pant leg and she was laughing pretty hard <laughs> my favorite thing to do when my dad comes up and visits is to like pull up my pant leg and show him how hairy my leg is and just be like thanks dad because he's like he's the hairiest person you'll ever meet i mean i'm not gonna lie i definitely shave my arms because like that's oh dude i never have never will fuck it if someone gets offended by my arm hair they can go suck a dick i'm sorry i'm not no, doing I that got, i got um so when i was like really young these boys are like fucking with me and then they're like you look like a monkey and like all this stuff and they were like messing with me and after that like I just like even when I was little I was like I'm going to shave my arms and so my mom walked in on me like with a little pink razor and me like shaving my arms and she's just kind of like it kind of broke her heart she was like looking at me like she knew what happened she didn't have to say anything and she was just like uh, 
And so now because that was ingrained in me so young and not because of my parents, but because of these boys that I just kind of was like, now if it, if it grows out, I'm just like, ah, I gotta shave everything. And it's me. It's me. I'm not doing it for anyone else. Mm-hmm. I hate kids sometimes. <laughs> well, no, it's, it, I, I think that that's a very real thing that women have where it's like when we, we know how much pressure is put on us in society to be valuable as a sexual object and a potential uh, baby maker. A lot of times it comes down to that. And if you have hairy arms, those things aren't uh, aligned with that. So but I refuse to wear makeup. So there, there's that fuck everything. with that. <laughs> Make, Okay. Makeup can be really fun. Cause I don't know. I, I, call, I think I'm more of a war paint. Cause when I'm yes. like really nervous about going out, I'm put the makeup on and I'm like, yeah, I'm taller than you. And I have makeup on fear me. I like the war paint mythology type understanding mm-hmm. because you're like, I'm giving myself the power. I'm not doing it for anyone else. So you are turning it internal. Yeah. It's something I'd love to tell myself, but yeah, I'm very sensitive and, and very worrisome about what other people think about me. Yeah. I call it war paint, but I'm very, very concerned about what people think about me. It's a problem I have. I think I'm a little bit surprised by that. I think maybe you just hide it well, or maybe you just are... Maybe you just are ready to fight back and everything that I've seen that you're ready to kind of protect yourself, but also protect other people who are in a similar position as you. I see you protecting people who may not align with you on every political thing or everything in the world, but you'll still stand up for them. And I think that's so valuable. And so it kind of shocks me where you're saying that you're sensitive to these things because it makes me feel that you have to fight it more and you're still outspoken for our community. Oh God. Yeah. I, um, I'm incredibly insecure. I'm the type of person I'll something I said or did and I'll overthink things all the time. I'm scared to comment on things on Twitter because I'm scared to use my voice. Still, I have so many insecurities over what I do and I have to run things by Scott all the time. Not because he asked me to, not at all. Not, he's not controlling is my rock. And he's like, you're fine. Say the thing. You can do this. You're fine. And I I get nervous about making jokes to people online because I'm afraid the tone won't come across. And I'm nervous about speaking my mind because uh, being ostracized in a community that saved my life is uh, terrifying to me. I bite my tongue 90% of the time. I'd speak out 10%. I have very strong thoughts about this community and the people in it and the way things are going. I don't feel strong at all. I feel like somebody who takes cheap shots and then hides in the bushes a little bit. Um, that's, that's how I feel I, about my community. I, I, I was told during the pandemic that I was a very outspoken and assertive woman. And I was like, who are you talking to? Um, and this year has been a big growth for that and being more comfortable with using my voice. And I was in an abusive childhood growing up. I, my mom was very verbally and uh, emotionally abusive and manipulative towards me. She would say horrible things to me and belittle me and lots of gaslighting. And I remember like for an example of some of the worst things she's ever said is, um, it was just discovering my sexuality and just 
messing around with a guy for the first time and she told she found out because she was patrolling my chats with my friends to make sure I wasn't getting any to anything and she was reading all my chats and uh, she told me that I would die pregnant alone in a ditch and she wouldn't be able to be there for me because I was a whore that those that those were the kind of things she would do and when when you're raised with that and you don't have like a you're not given your platform to really speak what you're what you believe and what you think, even if it's stupid, like it'll, uh, it eats away at your confidence. And that, that, that's something I've always struggled with. I'm getting better, but it's, um, no, I, I, I'm incredibly insecure person. I get my moments where I'm secure and confident, but I'm fucking insecure as shit. I'm so honored just to speak with you because even though you feel this way, you're still choosing to speak anyway. And maybe it is some of the cheap shots now, but I don't think that's the case. Like I've seen you stand up for younger designers or younger creatives who are willing to take less money for work. I've seen you encourage young designers and creatives in our community to fight for better because you didn't have better. I I've heard you talk about toxic relationships that happen with clients and understanding boundaries and understanding rest and understanding that, yes, art school is awesome, but not everyone has to go to art school to be awesome. Mm -hmm. And so you telling me this, it's, I'm so inspired by that. You're still willing to talk, even though you feel like you want to silence yourself because you've been taught to silence yourself it's a journey to do that. And I think that there's a lot of growth that's happened this past year. And one of them was realizing that everything that I kind of think is probably occurred and happening to people around me as well. So if I'm insecure and scared of something, chances are the person that I'm scared of talking to is kind of feeling the same thing. I mean, I don't want to like assume that everyone's exactly like me in my thinking process, but as far as insecurity goes or uh, worried about certain things, I can pretty much assume that the things that I think are specifically unique to me because I see all my flaws are a universal thought with everyone else. And that gives me confidence. That gives me the confidence to say these things because I think we all need that honesty a little bit more. And I feel a lot more relieved. Like, I don't know, when someone talks about when you fish a hair out of your butt crack in the shower and it tickles and it's really weird. Like, the first time someone said that to me, I was like, oh, my God, I feel seen. I never wanted, I never thought I'd talk to anyone about that. Oh, my God. Like, and, and, and like I think that there's something magical there about being so honest and, like, trust falling with that where you're like, I'm going to be real honest with you and you can like, you can say that I'm weird for saying that, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not lying. And if, if I'm not lying, don't, don't make fun of me. And if you're making fun of me for being honest, then that's, that's your problem. And when it comes to supporting younger designers, it's better for me if they make more money because I can charge more. That's another thing. It, 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 when I raise the bar for other people, the lowest person, my bar is more secure. And that's really selfish, but you can be damn sure that when the pressure's on and I'm forced to choose between my morals and the thing that's going to like save me or whatever, my philosophy is going to make sure that my morals stay intact because when push comes to shove, the most important thing is what's best for all. My selfish altruism makes me do that because 
we are naturally selfish when we are drowning in water. If someone comes and swims to save us, we will pull them under instinctually to try to breathe. It could be the person, it could be the love of our lives, but we will pull them under to survive. And that is kind of how we are. Selfish altruism is, you have to be very honest with yourself about it because it's like, even if it comes down to why you do good, it's sort of make a better world for yourself. I ascribe to that because uh, I think when even when you get into your darkest place and you only can think of yourself and you're hurting, you have to remember when people around you are doing better, you do better. I don't know. It may seem like weird. Selfish. I don't think it is. I think it's honest. I think a lot of people think that way, but they don't admit it. They just kind of sit in the shit that they believe. They sit they're like, oh, well, fuck it. I don't care about the world around me. I just care about me. And when you just care about you, nothing gets better. So for example, if you want the world better, you're like, I want a higher minimum wage for people. Maybe the selfish thing is if I have a higher minimum wage for people, they will make better coffees because maybe they are working at Coffee Bean or like whatever establishment because they won't be tired and exhausting and angry all the time because they have to work 20 jobs just to have a roof over their head. Maybe they'll be happier. And so then your day will be happier working with them. It's not so small as that. It's more like, It's along the same lines, but it's like, I want the Starbucks person to make more money because I want them to, when they're driving into work, know that what they're driving into is worth their time and they're worth being paid fairly for. So they don't cut me off in traffic without using their goddamn turn signal. (laughs) I want them to have the happiness. I want them to be able to support their kid. And when their kid goes to school and can eat some healthy lunches, that kid can start thinking about their future and being like, what am I going to do for my life? Instead of like trying to, I don't know, eat some crap food and try to pay attention in class while their stomach's growling. Yeah, it's bigger than just the cup of coffee. It's the whole structure. But exactly that. But it, it's not, I don't care about the coffee. I can make my own damn coffee. But yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying, it's bigger scale than just like, not the selfish like coffee. I don't want to be cut off in traffic. <laughs> I, want to, I, want to, I don't want to die in traffic. That's my goal. It's all about yeah. the ripple effects of life. Like if, if people have money and they can afford for the things that make their lives easier, then they put that, they're putting that money back yep. into the economy anyway because they have to. It makes this world less shit, and that's kind of all I want. I just want a less shitty world. Exactly. And what is money, right? It's the proof. It's proof that you had, you contributed value. This is a a representation of value and the value is the work you did. We've obscured money to such a point where it's, it's this, uh, it becomes, it, it became a completely different entity to what it was meant to be in the first place, which was in exchange of good and services. It was never meant to be what capitalism has formed it into. It was meant to be, I have a camel, but I need that hat. And I don't think I can give you my camel for the hat. It's not fair. Isn't it like almost an IOU. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it's so that if you only sell camels, but the hat person doesn't need a camel, you can like take the the value from selling camels to other people and exchange it for the hat person, who takes only persimmons. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 
Yeah, that's that's basically it right there. <laughs> and it, it's been skewed into this whole other world of complicated mess, which feeds into the whole, like, the further away you get from the truth, the more wobbly and unstable it becomes. So what's a challenging topic you're passionate about and are willing to have a conversation on, a hard conversation? And we can be talking about your story and diving a little bit deeper into your background if you're willing to do so. You want to have the conversation right now? Um, oof. I suppose we can sexual assault, sexism, uh, the default male of the design industry. There's a, you get into a lot of that. Whatever is comfortable for you. I mean, I or, or you, can you, are you okay for that? <laughs> I'm here to listen to you. So whatever you're willing to share, I'm here to hear you and to be present with you and fully focused. And if I make you feel uncomfortable at any time, be like, look, bitch. Cause I noticed, I noticed what you do when we're talking, when you're starting to feel uncomfortable, I now see it where you crack a joke. Oh yeah. Humor is my coping mechanism. It always has been. It's why I'm hilarious. I have so much trauma. I mean, it's why I'm hilarious too. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a refined dark I mean, humor. I was in a room on Clubhouse the other day, and I literally compared freelance and full time to if you're the prostitute or the pimp. Oh, because man. okay, if you're working in an agency, you are the prostitute, and maybe maybe I should view prostitution as an emotional prostitute. Because you're putting your heart and your mm -hmm. soul into your creative world. And then when you're a freelancer, you're your own pimp because you still have to go out and make the money, but you also got to chase the johns to get your bills paid. You got to deal with like tax man. You got to deal with all these extra things that you might not have to worry about so much as in house. So like, I'm like, this yeah. is shit I shouldn't be saying, but it feels so true. I was going to argue that it was wrong, but no, you're absolutely right there. I was, cause I was thinking more of like, I feel sometimes like a prostitute if we're going with that kind of thing. When I, I go from agency to agency and just fill a specific purpose and move on. But yeah, I got to do the taxes and I got to do, um, marketing and emails, even though I don't but you really can charge higher market myself. Yeah, I can charge higher. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that's getting comfortable with that is weird too, because I think we all have that, um, I think we all look at ourselves like worth probably a, a quarter of what we actually are. Oh, definitely. You know? We look at ourselves and we're like, mm, like 25 cents on the dollar. Cause I, I, I've, I've been with myself when I'm in the bathroom and I don't think I'm worth the full <laughs> dollar. <laughs> Here. So I've looked at things a little bit differently. I think with that, it's where, it's taken, it's taken apparently like 30 years, but I'm finally comfortable enough with myself where I'm like, oh, am I content? Like, I know I have like depression and suicidal tendencies and like all of these traumas that I try to keep in a little box under my bed, like shoved really, really far away from me. <laughs> but like, I'm like, oh, I liked getting up this morning. I'm not dealing with depression today. Huh? healing oh it's so difficult coming back to re not reality but like 
coming back to normality after living in trauma for so long because it defines you a bit. You're very sensitive to things. You look at the world and you're like, how is the world going to fuck me over today? Or how is the world going to remind me how I've been fucked over today? And there is that process of getting through that and coming to terms with what's happened. And But coming out of that and being like, I danced this morning. What was that? I didn't cry. I danced and it was really cool. Like... And it's yeah. the things that, like, we as women, we don't, like, talk about, but all of us feel it. Like, we all feel like, oh, I'm walking to my car late at night. I have my keys out because stab, stab. Or, oh, I have mm-hmm. my best friend on speed dial. I'm calling her because I'm walking to my car. Oh, I'm going to look in the backseat of my car before I get in the car. Or, like, when you're grocery shopping and you walk outside of the grocery store, you're like, what items could I use as a weapon that I've just purchased? Like, what item would I defend myself with? Like, and all women have these yep. things. They, they're like, okay, there's a guy walking on the same sidewalk as me. I went across the street. It's, so, and an odd thing for me is that I never feel unsafe outside of my home. I am the most scared when I'm in my home. I look for things that I can defend myself with in my own home because I never really got catcalled. I never got uh, followed. I did get followed once. Um, I I never really got sent dick pics or like anything like that. I never did. Everything that happened to me was inside of a house where I thought I was safe. Um, I mean, uh, I was first molested by a girl when I was 13 years old. I was then groomed by um, a man in his 20s when I was 15. I was groomed by another man, and then another man, and then another man. Um, Different levels of intimacy with each. Uh, Then I was finally raped by a man named Lucas Bell, who, um, his family is in Interlock in Michigan, and he held me down in his bedroom. And they told my father and me that he was a good Christian boy who wasn't capable of doing anything like that. He um, never, ever saw any justice for that because I was too scared to press charges. And then a few semi-sexual... I mean, like, at that point, it's just like if anyone tries to uh, push themselves on you... It's like, is it really sexual assault? I mean, you can try harder. People have done further, first things. Um, there was a couple of those in colleges, but not terribly bad. And then uh, the second rape happened when I was uh, 25. His name was Rudy. He was also involved with the military. Lucas and Rudy are both uh, military folks. Um, shocking. I hate that. Because we treat our military like tri- Yeah. And that was, um, that was when I realized I wasn't okay. Like, I wasn't doing okay. I mean, I had been suicidal in childhood. I had tried, I had attempted suicide when I was in my teens. Um, I didn't, I was not in a healthy place with myself. Um, and I wasn't able to leave my house. I, when I did, it was just, I was, I wouldn't take off this black jacket that had holes in it because I didn't want anyone to see my skin. Um, the, one of the last things that 
Rudy said to me um, was, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. You were just too beautiful, which was his excuse for raping me. And it took me a really long time to get closure because it's really hard to get closure from a guy that basically said, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And what I found was with closure was that uh, we have to address toxic masculinity, the default male, and understand that if we have this many, this, this culture where sexual assault is so prevalent and everywhere, and it's happening from people that are brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and, and daughters and sons, the problem is with humans that need redemption. If they need help, they need everything. Because currently, our, our, what, what are we doing right now for sexual assault? What, you, you tell the police, and then they ask the guy, did you do this? And the guy's like, uh, no, of course not. And then they're like, all right, will you do a lie detector test? And the guy's like, no. And they're like, well, there's not much we can do. Or maybe they do a rape test, a rape kit test. That's cool. Um, just get right on up there right after I've been assaulted. That's cool. Love that. Oh, I had to deal with that right yeah. after. And that is like one of the most uncomfortable experiences. Did you have a guy doctor? Like any, I never had it done. I was too scared to go forward. So having a rape kit done is one of the most humiliating experiences. Yeah. Cause you're treated like a crime scene. I can imagine. The fact that my mom had to take me to get it done. And my best friend at the time was working at the doctor's office. And so I got it done by, because in a small town, when these things happen, when you have a rape kit, they're done by people you go to church with. That's not a, that's not a good thing. Well, and it's done by yeah. people who know your parents who know the boy who did this who can say similar to what happened with you that a gr a good christian boy would never do this mm. oh your parents want to protect you and who notice that something has happened like my mom knew soon like 72 hours within because i had to go get a kit done all the traumatic stories of people getting pregnant and things like this. I was, of course, scared shitless because I was young. I didn't want to do anything after that. But, of course, because a rape kit is done, you have to go to the police station. And so my mom, like, for weeks picked me up after school and took me to the police station so I would talk to a detective. And I said nothing to the detective. Because I had a male detective who was just wanted me to talk about it. And I didn't even want to admit that it happened. The levels of failure in the system to try to help uh, humans who have experienced a sexual assault. Right now, there are about 500,000 untested rape kits, and that's probably a conservative guess. And if you do the math on that, say about, what is it, what percentage of rapes are reported? What, 10%? I think there's a percentage where, and I'm, I'm probably going to relook this up or something, but there's a percentage out there of 
people are always like, oh, false accusations. 90% of the time, the accusation is correct. Mm-hmm. I don't know whatever the fuck did the 10% happened, but 90% happened. And mm-hmm. I, and the media has tricked us to believe that not everyone, it's a he said, she said. So I love, I do love SVU, but I fucking hate it because it's stereotyped so many things that are wrong with our system when it comes to sexual assault. Like a hymen is like a made up thing at most. Because you can lose it riding a bike. Mm-hmm. Virginity is like a made-up thing. Because women used to be sold for shit. It doesn't work all the same. And it gets me so angry because we've done this to ourselves. Because men wrote the script for stories that should have been women's. Also, uh, just just to because equality, uh, women can be even more sexist than men. We can lie to ourselves and uh, be pretty hard against women too, because we we spend our time thinking that um, we're raised to think we're kind of these second class citizens when compared to boys, and then eventually that we will be deemed worthy to like be a boy's uh, co-inhabitant and produce children for them. Um, we're kind of raised like that mentally. It depends, of course, on what family you're raised in, but that's oh, how no, mine I was, was raised the same way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so we spend our lives kind of like saying, I'm not second class. I'm a human. I'm actually different. Listen, guys, I'm not like those other dumb girls. I'm an actual live human. Which makes it worse. Yeah. And we internalize it. And then we like our proudest moments are when boys say you're not like other girls. And then that like gets us into bed easier. You know, like we're just like, oh, yay. They see my value. Finally, someone sees that I'm not a second class citizen. I'm not like the rest of the girls. Really, none of the girls are like the other girls. Everyone is who they are. We're human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're all human. I I still have that bias to this day. I have my own bias to women to this day. And I hate it. Yeah, it, it's rough. I, I I want it to be gone, but it, like there's so much unconscious bias I have that I'm working on that I just was like, I don't know when it's going to go away. I'd be delighted if it was now. Um, but the only thing I can do is be really honest about it and hope that someone hears that and is like, fuck, I think I got that too. And it, it is okay to talk about, and they can talk about it. And they can have, they can get a support group and they can talk to people and they, they can verbalize that. Because when you verbalize something, you give it a name, it's a handle to a, a boiling hot pot and you can take it off the burner a little bit. Or, and, and I think that that's such an important part of being part of a community is being honest. And, and it's gonna, you're gonna say some ugly things about yourself. So I know that we're talking a lot about sexual assault and we have unconscious biases. And sometimes now, because you, you've done the work, they, they've become conscious. What advice or what are things that you have biases about that you didn't realize that you can maybe give advice to people who don't realize that they might have them? Um, um, well, I was, I was raised in a, um, in a cult a uh, white identity cult, a Christian identity cult. And it um, taught me that uh, black people don't have souls. Uh, Jews are the children of Satan. Um, The true tribe of Israel is the Aryan races of Europe. And the United States. I'm going to stop you here. Because I'm going to say, for the listeners out there, 
you disagree with all this shit and you think it's all bullshit and you yes. completely oh hate God. fucking I, yes. all of that because you're human and yeah, you have no, a brain a, and no, I think it's a, I think it's important that people fess up to this. Cause you, I, I posted a black square after, uh, George Floyd died. I posted Embryana Taylor. I posted a black square and that didn't do jack shit to help them. But opening up about how I was racist and still have unconscious biases and, like, how I was raised that way and how I see it with my eyeballs in, like, not only my own life but in my friends' lives and, like, my family's life and, like, the world around me, that's a lot more fucking helpful because that's what you have a conversation about. We can't talk about the black square. It's, what is a black square? Did you go RGB or CMYK? <laughs> yeah, we, uh... Race in a racist, sexist, homophobic society. It teaches us, yes, part of the cult was um, very anti-gay too. It instilled a, a, a thought process in me as I don't know if I would have been equal to what the society would have done. I'm sure it kind of turned the heat up on a few biases. I reckoned with that last year and it was hard because it, I think that what people don't realize is that quiet little voice that you tell to shut up when you like look at somebody who's different than you because you know that voice isn't acceptable in the society you're participating in that's your racism that's your sexism that's your bias even if you like you may not even tell it to shut up you may be like all right come come up here and sit next to me little guy and uh don't don't no don't talk but you can just watch and we're gonna co-pilot this and I'm not going to interact with this person because of this situation but I'm not necessarily prejudiced or anything I'm just going to do it this way because it's going to work. And, and th that, that's going to keep me safe as an individual because that's what I've learned through my life. And I think that we need to be a lot more honest about what happens there in that little brain interaction with our, our prejudices because I'm really sick of people getting on their high horses and being like, fuck racist. Honey, everyone's oh, a racist. Yeah, you need to like, like everyone's like, oh my God, races are trash. No, they're stupid humans who need to be talked to. And I'm sorry, we're not going to get anywhere not talking with them. We're going to leave that for some poor BIPOC individual to deal with oh, down God, the road. Yeah. And it is our responsibility as people with privilege to talk with these people. We don't get to have a break. Maybe we need a break a little bit for mental health. But you don't get to be like, I fucking hate Nazis. Punch them in the face. No, you have a moral obligation to talk to that Nazi. Because your skin's white and they might listen to you. And we've all fucked up and we're not perfect. And we have horrible dark thoughts. And it's not going to get us anywhere to like lie about that. And if somebody wants to judge me for my past racism or sexism or homophobia, go for it. But I think a person who's perfect wouldn't be judging. Oh, God. Bible reference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bringing in religion. Uh, don't even get me started on religion. I, I was going to talk about like the quote where if you haven't sinned, you can throw the first stone type situation. But I hate I hate that I do okay. that because a lot of religions will get you in the mindset of us versus them mentality. Even though they're like, oh, um, I hate the sin, but I love the person. And that's such a cop out for things. Like it's... Like, it's like, it's like it has the frameworks for having the right mentality of, like, being a really good human. Um, but any system that enforces a moral code without first informing the person why it's important to hold the moral code is, is doomed to corrupt and fail. Because Christianity and a lot of religions base their belief on uh, a deity existing, 
where I'd be really critical of religion. You cannot come to your own individual conclusion that a very specific deity exists. And therefore, because it can't be individually found out, I think it's a falsehood because all truth, for the most part, like basic inherent truth should be able to be arrived at on your own, on your own, in a bubble, in a vacuum, like gravity. Wow. Gravity. It exists. Cool. That's a law of nature. If I work with somebody versus by myself, we will get more done than if I work by myself. If I punch this person, they will punch me back. There are like universal laws of how things work and religion wants to slip in there, God. And it just doesn't make sense. You can have a moral code without God. And if you need God for a moral code, you don't understand the value of the moral code to begin with. And you will deviate from it when pressed. Before we continue, I'm just going to put a caveat sorry, out yes, there. <laughs> you were like, I'm going to get intense in this podcast. I'm no, like, we I'm are, gonna... which I love. And you know I like to dive deep because when you have the hard conversations, things do change. Things do evolve. But I do know a lot of religious people out there who I believe 100% believe in what they say and they do follow that moral code. And all, all to them. I love them. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And I also know the opposite. So whatever you believe in, mm-hmm. you can believe in. There's no judgment here. For this moment, it seems that we're not believing in those things because of what we've come to the cl- conclusions with. But if you do believe in those things, we still love you anyway. And, yeah. I mean, not anyway, but we still love you. We yeah. still have so much love for you. I have, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do a, a thing, a, a, what a disclaimer. I have a lot of trauma from the church, whether it's from that cult or it's from what happened with Lucas and his family saying that uh, good Christian boys don't rape. I may say it with a bit of spite. I understand with my own personal beliefs that I am becoming hypocritical because I'm not allowing them the same understanding as I do others. I have not coped with my trauma uh, from dealing with people that look down their nose at other folks for struggling when they themselves don't even understand morals. And I, I have a bit of resentment there that I need to work on myself 100%. The way that I view religion and the way others view religion are two different, two different things. And I definitely would I definitely got in trouble growing up because I come from the mentality and you probably see this with my work. I question everything. Therefore, growing up with Christian parents, they'd be like, oh, well, the whole world filled in like these amount of days, flood. And I'm kind of like, logistically, that's not possible. I'm just like thinking logic. And I'm like, is time a metaphor (laughs) in this space? Like, what is... Is it 24 hour days or did they have time the same way or like what? And then like, I like question all of this stuff and like the things that I've come to the conclusion with that make me feel like solid is that I think religion is kind of like ice cream. I think 
I, okay, okay, I know. <laughs> so many analogies are flying through my head right now. You have to eat it fast and without thinking or it'll no, melt in no, your hand? No, it's like, like ice cream. Whatever you choose is your flavor. And if you're happy with it at the end of the day and you choose good moral decisions and you have that morality, then it's fine. Like, I'm not going to look, look down on someone's religion because they don't believe in what I believe. Unfortunately, there's a lot of religions that are like, oh, you have to indoctrinate others. You have to get other people to be in your, like, group. You have to, like, reach out. You have to be the witness for other people. And I think, like, that's fine. But I'm not going to put my religion on anyone else or my beliefs on anyone else. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying that I think it's, like, ice cream. And it's probably definitely offensive to a lot of people right now. And I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm... Because this is my opinion, and your opinion I, is completely valid, too. I, I would say that uh, religion has been responsible for some in- incredible atrocities around the world, and if they want to pick now as a time to be offended, I would suggest taking a look in the goddamn mirror. <laughs> I was watching Brave the Woods tweet how astounded he was that people were getting offended that he criticized Trump and that they had Jesus follower in their bios. And I was like, oh, does that shock you? Does that shock you, Brave the Woods? Honey, does it? Let me tell you, maybe you should scan over history and see if there's any other Christian actions that shock you. You can start with the Crusades. Okay. Um, Earlier you were talking about how you were raised. Mm -hmm. Something interesting about my thing is I was definitely raised similar to you, not in the cult mentality, but I was definitely raised around a lot of religion because isolation kind of does that when you're in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? You go to church on Sundays. I mean, that's the only way you sometimes have community because like when school lets out in the summer and you don't want to be home by yourself. And at the time when I was being raised, there wasn't a thing called the internet. You had Mm -hmm. church you'd go to. And so you'd, talk to other people about, like, church things. And <laughs> what, a fucking, what a fucking glow up. I used to go to church, and then I found the internet. <laughs> you know what the internet has? It has porn. Dude, it has I can order things off Amazon that were made by children, and I may, I pay pennies on the dollar for it. I can get sushi <laughs> the push pins. <laughs> what is my glow up? I had religion, and then I found the internet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to... Uh, anyway. No, sorry. No, I it just was really great. So I loved it. it. I would do love to say um, that that's one thing I, I look up to you for, is that you question things. I don't. I you Well, I do sort of more now, but my entire childhood growing up, I just went with things. Cause I thought that I was wrong. If I questioned anything, I thought I was wrong. I thought that's why I have such high insecurities because I think immediately that I'm wrong. Oh, I have those insecurities too because of how I was raised because I did not fit into the shiny box of religion that I was supposed to. I fit in the, wow, she's very loud. (laughs) She's very hyper. She's very excitable. She's very weird. She doesn't like wearing makeup. She likes wearing hoodies. She doesn't look ready to get married at 18. She she might... Be careful. You might look like a lesbian <laughs> if you're not careful there. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, my dog just dropped his ball for that. So, amen. <laughs> oh, 
No, that was like one. Oh my god, one of the last big fights my mom got into is you know how I have my head shaved, which I love. Uh, she was like, "Yeah, I love it too. Thank you. I feel more myself with it shaved." And uh, my mom's like, "But if you do that, people will think you'll be a lesbian." I'm like, "What's wrong with that, mom?" My mom is religious, and I love her to death. Mm-hmm. And when I came out, and I think you definitely know this, she was afraid to tell my father because she's like, oh, it's going to break your heart. And the first person I had come out to in my family had told me I was going to burn in hell because religion, of course, and that I'd break my father's heart and that would kill him. And so when my mom found out, she was very hurt and everything. But when it came time that when my father did pass away, she, of course, was like, she chose me. And chose her love for me over what anyone else would say in that church. And she was kind of like this lady who was like, if you say shit about my daughter, she's going to see you in hell first. Yeah. Go mom. Because like, how dare, how dare you? And this is like a little white old little lady who, who is a savage, savage as hell. And, but she was great with that. I was like, good, good job, mom. Like, Yes to this because you yeah. could have you could have said never speak to me again. Mm-hmm. And it would have been so easy because I was currently at the time living in California. She could have easily said I don't Lose the I don't want to get to know you. She could have sent me a bill for everything that they ever paid for me in my life. Instead, she she wasn't comfortable with it, but she decided to love me anyway. And that's what doesn't happen a lot of times in the world that we live in. And so I question things because if something cannot answer the question, like gravity, then, and we aren't diving deeper, then we're not really getting to know whatever we're trying to do. So the reason I'm talking about this and bringing it up is that my mom, she was, she had me when she was 48 and she could have gotten an abortion, to be honest, because I, I could have had Down syndrome and the doctors warned her and, but her and my dad had tried. And so they had me, she had me not because she was like pro-life or anything. I mean, she was, but she had me because she had wanted me for so long. The thing is, if people are pro-life, they should also be pro-healthy food choices in school, pro-welfare, pro-all of these elements. But what happens is that when people are born, after that, those pro-lifers are like, you're on your own, kid. Well, I I think that that would be the definition of pro-life. I think that um, what gets called pro-life nowadays is actually pro-forced birth. Yes. And not pro-life. Let's let's not dive into the abortion argument at all. But yes, I I agree 100%. The reason I brought it up is because, and I know I'm taking longer to get to my point, and I do apologize for that. So if I jump back to the argument that happens with, Christianity, which is how I grew up, it's like everyone has to be pro-life. Later on, when I question everything, I'm pro-choice because I didn't realize this. At the time when I was even pro-life, I was like, you know, I think people should have the choice. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not 
what pro-choice means. Pro-choice means I want to I want to bash the baby's head in. If I was given the option instead of like not watching it versus watching it, I would pick watching it. Like that's how pro-choice I am. That's that's how right. They're painting. So they were painting pro-choice because I was pro-choice even though I was in the pro-life mindset because I was like I believe everyone should have the choice. Pro-life was painting pro-choice at that time. I don't know if things have evolved. I'm scared to look at it because. I feel so bad for the world. There's so much shit going on that that's like just another fight that I'm like, maybe wait a bit until like the pandemic. There's so many fights out there. You don't have to look that up. But I mean, it's, it's that whole idea where I'm like, everyone should have the right to choose for themselves. And that should be with everything. And so I even thought that when I was like, oh, I'm pro-life, but I believe that everyone has that right, which apparently that's not what pro-life is I I chose wrong. <laughs> so when I was hearing about like pro-choice, they were talking about, oh, they're baby killers. They like, they hate all of these things. Like no one ever gets raped and conceives. Like they're just making up lies. They don't want to bring people into the world who have disabilities. When you're raped, their ovaries turn into little Pac-Man <laughs> instead of like... <laughs> Instead of the fruit, they're the Pac-Man now. Like, wah, 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 just wah, get in wah, that wah, Anything gets close is fucked. The ghost, oh, the, the like, the, it's like the, the ghost turn blue. Like, then they're edible. Oh, like, definitely. that's the sperm. I think I think Pac-Man wah. is so relevant to so many things in the world. I think. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay. So during this <laughs> pandemic, when I go into a gas station and I have my mask on, I feel like I'm fucking Pac-Man because I'm trying to avoid all the people in the store. So I feel like I'm like running away from all of the ghosts and I'm trying to get my food in the gas station. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll go in an aisle and I'll see someone coming the opposite way and I'll turn the other direction. And I'm like, God dang, it's Pac-Man. And it's like, Oh my god! And like, if you cough, everything goes wow, 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 because like all the ghosts are now running away because you just cough. <laughs> and, and it could be you <laughs> cough because of allergies. Oh my god! Have you gotten the hair in your mask yet? Have you ever yes. been like in your mask and you're in the store and you're and like, you I have hair like... in my mouth and you're like, fuck. <laughs> yes. Is it worth getting COVID to get the hair out of my mouth? Because I think so. Uh, <laughs> I know. There's nothing worse than having a hair in your mouth. <laughs> Hey Frederick. Hi Frederick. What do you think about (laughs) Pac-Man? So, ah, okay. So yeah, okay. So we're talking about uh, pro-life, pro-choice. We're talking about taking care of people. I was trying to talk about how religion forces us to believe certain things that then we're forced to believe because we want to fit in with that community. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's forced morals you haven't arrived to on your own. Earlier you talked about you have a lot of biases based off how you are raised. Do you want to mm-hmm. dive a little bit deeper of like, is there a story that you have in mind about it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably briefly summarize because there's no, it's not really interesting enough to really be like, this is what it was like being inside of a cult. Um, it was... Um, run by this sweet little old grandma and grandpa of a family, Dan LaDonna, out in Washington. And it was the same cult that um, the serial killer, Israel Keys, was a part of. So I actually met Israel Keys, and uh, he was there. So I got to meet a serial killer. Thanks, Mom and Dad. 
uh, back in his blossoming days. So it, we actually went out there and visited. Um, my parents were involved with like a Michigan militia and like all sorts of right wing stuff. It was really looking back. It was really a great example of how my family who my father was an architect for like Beaumont hospital in Detroit. My mom, uh, was a, was a designer at Leo Burnett in Detroit, like very modern thinking people deciding to move to somewhere isolated and them falling into the mindset of isolationalists. They, they went from a very like modern life in a city in Detroit where things were going well to isolate in the middle of nowhere. Nobody in the city, in the town would talk to them. And my mom was pushing us further and further into like these more extreme groups. Like my uncle got into the Michigan militia that we had lots of um, talks about how the government was going to turn us into like prisoners and concentration camps. And we fell into this weird religion where I was, I had questions and I'd be like, so what exactly are black people? And they'd be like, Oh, well, they're just, they're nice. You treat them nicely, but they're just not the same as us. They're just, I don't know how to describe it. They're like, they're basically like, um, this is so difficult. They're basically like, uh, like little robots. And then it's only white people that go to heaven. Shit like that. Like the whole, of course, you know, the whole thing with like gay people uh, being associated with child molesters. I mean, I actually that. have an interesting thing about that with the Bible. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, okay. So yeah, apparently yeah. the Bible has been mistranslated. Yeah, that we actually talked about that the other day with my, my so friends and I. It, when yeah. people, when it talks about man sleeping with man that it's, like, the worst thing in the world, it's actually mistranslated because it's supposed to be man and younger man. It's supposed to actually be talking about, mm -hmm. like, child molesters. Yeah, because that is fucked. That fucks some people up. Because when the Bible was redone, I think it was... Is it one in the 70s or something? When the new translation, I think it's King James, had come about, or even further back than that, and I'm so sorry for misquoting the time... But um, in the Greek translation, it has that child molesters. But when they translated mm -hmm. it to English, at that viewpoint in time and politics and history, they had thought gays were child molesters. And so that's where... And the word homo didn't... That was a word that didn't exist. And mm -hmm. Well, it did, but it meant same. Correct. But it wasn't derogatory. Correct. They mistranslated it on purpose based off the politics at the time and then the person who paid for the translation. Hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> that didn't affect anything I mean, else, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was told I'm going to burn in hell. Not at all. Yeah, no. No. That was, yeah, that was, uh weird part of my life being uh, molested by a girl and like my first like orgasm happening with a girl and thinking that I was gay and knowing my family wouldn't accept me and not knowing what to do with that. Also thinking like I couldn't have that intimacy with a man because it wouldn't work. 
Um, that was weird. That was happened when I was 13, so I was still pretty young. And that carried through college because I didn't know any better. I hate that. I hate that because it says... So I'm in this uh, the LGBT family, of course, and I hate that because everyone can be a predator. Oh, yeah. And I hate it because we're already marginalized and the world already sees us as doing those things. And there's so many, like, books and stories where, like, huge age gaps or, like, gays fall in love with each other and they're, like, 20 years difference in their age and then it's, like, sexualized people who are... It just sexualizes things that aren't consent and aren't appropriate Mm -hmm. and it breaks my heart, honestly. We need to... There's a reckoning that needs to happen in our society with the hypersexualization of things in order to achieve uh, several goals, like um, encouraging men to be hypersexualized, that they need to have their conquests and, and things like that. We need to stop selling it in our marketing all the time. It is sexuality. It's in our religion, and, too. It is in our religion as well. Like, you can't have sex until marriage. Like, you, you people are going to do it anyway, but they're going to do it covertly, and they're going to do it sneaky, and they're going to get around it. It's just not going to be he- healthy. It's not going to work out. It's, we need to have a better approach towards sex, because right now it's not working. And that is one of the thing. one of the big core reasons my philosophy has to do with my sexual assault because it, it it hit me that if I really wanted to never get raped again, because I was, like, joking. Like, I can't get raped a third time. It'll be clumsy looking. Like, how bad is that? Like, oops, I got raped again. Can't handle myself. And I... It, it hit me that it what the system wasn't working. Reporting wasn't working because it didn't help 500,000 women. You know? The ones with the untested rape kits didn't help them. So, how... Is that... Are the rape kits the problem or are they the, the symptom of a problem? They're a symptom of a problem. Is that a, is with the cause for the rape kits a symptom of a problem or the problem? That's the symptom of a problem. Rape isn't the end problem. It's a symptom of a greater problem. And the greater problem is our society is broken. We're telling men that they don't need to have emotion because it's useless to us when a man has emotion other than like sexual desire, uh, love of masculinity and like love of killing and, and hurting things. They're told that anger and isn't anger. an emotion. And so when women are angry, mm-hmm. it scares men because then they switch it and they're like, oh, she's a bitch or she's bossy or she's all, they label it. And men are shown to only have like okay men should never cry so boys don't cry um boys aren't allowed to like feminine colors but colors aren't feminine or masculine it's advertise advertising has trained us to believe they are there's not there's just not it it it's heartbreaking when you when we look at like Sure, I'm I'm a huge feminist. I, I'm very pro women's rights and and all of that. But 
I think that one of the huge things, if you really want to push for women's rights, we have to look at men and be like, what sexism are you experiencing as well? Because it's, it, it just, it's a never ending cycle that feeds into itself. We push these things on men, men push it on themselves and we do the exact goddamn things or same thing to ourselves and men do the same thing to us. And like, there has to come a point where it's like, like I, I, I criticize a lot of the male designers in this industry for doing so little for people who don't have their platforms. But at the same time, I see kind of where they're trapped. Like they don't have many options. They're like, there's one stereotype, maybe two that they can be. They can be funny or they can be mysterious. Like that's really the two directions for design boys. And they always have the bio designer, husband, father, Christ follower. Like that's, it's like, that's their kit that they're given when they get out of design school. They're like, all right, here's a snapback. You're going to have tattoos on your forearms. You're going to grow a full beard. You're going to wear button ups and think lumberjack, but also I'm too weak to swing an ax. That's kind of where we want you. And that's kind of what men have. And women are like, this is your placeholder job until you become a mother. And then you're going to switch to art. Like, that's kind of like the stereotype we get, but depending on our gender. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening in. Here's the thing. I had so much fun hanging out with Tatiana that we forgot we were recording. So I'm cutting this episode in half. Part two will be released in just a few days. It would be awesome if you took the time to subscribe, and if you want to send me your thoughts to continue the conversation, email me at info at happyimpulse.com. You can also find me on Instagram at happyimpulse. And as always, thank you for giving a fuck. (laughs) 